0: This podcast is part of the Sandy Boy Productions Podcast Network, a network that I founded last year in 2019. We have two other great shows in the network right now. The Up and Running Podcast with hosts Lauren Flores and Abby Stanley. They bring you all the news in the elite and professional distance running scene. Those ladies are doing a great job over there. And we also have the Illuminate Podcast where myself and two other co-hosts are bringing you stories of people doing really great work in the world. Make sure you go check out both of those podcasts and leave them a rating and review if you enjoy their episodes. And if you feel so inclined, leave us a rating and review over on this podcast as well. We would so appreciate that. All right. We are kicking off a coaching series today. I'm so excited. We have four awesome coaches, actually five, because one of the episodes coming up is two coaches in one episode. But we have four awesome coaching episodes coming up uh, where we're just talking with coaches. We're getting to learn a little bit about their lives and the way they coach. And this episode I'm really pumped about. It's with Marisa Powell. Marisa is the director of men's and women's track and cross country at the University of Washington. She coaches the women's distance and cross country teams herself. Her husband also coaches at the University of Washington and it's really cool to hear about their setup and how they work together as a team over there. They are also the parents of two boys and in this episode, Marisa shares with us a little bit about her experience in coaching and how she landed at the University of Washington. Prior to the University of Washington, she was coaching at the University of Oregon, where she coached six track and field individual NCAA champions, 20 cross-country All-Americans, and 79 all All-American. And in this episode, this is one of my favorite parts of the episode, she shares with us about the year in 2016 when her team won the NCAA Cross Country Championship by one point. It's such a fun story and uh, you can just hear the joy in her voice when she shares about it. So uh, yeah, Marisa has had an amazing career and it was so awesome to talk to a woman who coaches in the collegiate setting and to just hear a little bit about her recruitment strategy and the way she coaches and leads her teams. All right, today's episode is sponsored by Prevenex This is where I go for all of my vitamins and supplements. They have a joint health plus supplement that is right up your alley. If you are a runner looking for longevity in the sport, I take it every single day and my body is feeling great. It not only alleviates joint pain and helps with your flexibility, it also protects your joints so that you can have longevity in the sport. And that's what we all wanna do, right? We wanna have longevity in this sport. My boys and I drink their protein shakes pretty much every day. It's the Nurify Plus. I love the vanilla. They have a chocolate fave flavor as well. I throw in spinach and frozen fruit and make it this nice, big, nutrient-dense mini-meal for myself and my boys. I feel really good about that when we have those smoothies as a snack. You all can try out Prevenex, and I highly encourage you to do so when you go to Prevenex.com and use the code ANOTHER at checkout. Thank you, Prevenex, for supporting the podcast. All right, friends, I really hope you enjoy this first episode of the coaching series with Marisa Powell. Well, today on the podcast, I'm so excited to have Marisa Powell on the show. Welcome to the show, Marisa. Thank you. Happy to be here. Yes, we are doing a little bit of a coaching series here, and I just love talking to a Woman who is coaching, so I'm so happy to have you, and um, excited to learn a little bit about your career.
1: Absolutely. What is going on in uh, in your world today? So, I mean, like everybody else, I think we're in a little bit of a holding pattern and just trying to figure out kind of what's next, um, which we don't have a ton of control over, I suppose, right now. Um, you know, we've been asked by the Pac-12 to kind of take a look at different opportunities to compete closer to home in in conference and things like that. We haven't made it. uh, The Pac-12 put out a ruling last week that football is going to be in conference, but we cross country was left out of that. So Mm -hmm. we as a coaching group and working with our SWAs are trying to figure out the best way to move forward with the fall. Um, That said, I mean, there may or may not be a fall. So we're all just sort of, you know, trying to figure things out the best we can. And um, for me personally, I've really just turned my focus entirely to just managing the day to day for the women that I work with the best that I can, because I I really can't predict what's going to happen next. So just, you know, my world right now is just, just keeping good contact with everybody that I coach and trying to, you know, individualize everything because they're really, they're in different parts of the country and different parts of the world and really in different phases of, of their running and, and their return to being back in Seattle. So it's, yeah, things are kind of a little all over the place right now, but we're trying to have a good attitude and control the things we can. And yeah, I think it's all you can do. Right. (sighs) Yeah. I was thinking about that
0: as a coach and mentor of so many young athletes, it's probably like this time is so unprecedented in general for your own life, but like you're kind of in this position (laughs) where you're, you're coaching people through basic life stuff outside of, of coaching running as well. You know, I'm sure the kids have lots of questions for you about everything. I mean, you had students that didn't get to
1: finish their spring seasons. Yeah. So we had, it It was pretty dramatic around here because, so Washington is on terms. So we have fall term, winter term, and spring term. Okay. So our entire spring term was, was remote. So they never, the kids never met their spring term professors. I mean, the whole thing was remote. They didn't bail like halfway through a semester. So we were... Uh, we were going into winter term final exams the week of the NCA indoor meet. So we got to Albuquerque um, having already been remote for a week. Mm. And then we we were sent home from Albuquerque and then really everybody left. And so that was kind of the dramatic part was, you know, the kids all had to move. You know, they came. Some of them didn't even come back. Like Katie Rainsberger and Allie Shadler and Marlena Prey went straight home from Albuquerque with just their travel bags. Oh, my gosh. From the meet and all their stuff was still in Seattle. So they were home for like 15 weeks with just like a little bag that they brought to the meet thinking they were going to run the NCAs and come back three days later and they never came back.
0: Oh my gosh.
1: Um, my international kids, we sent home because we were starting to get nervous about borders closing and you know kids not being able to be with their families and their parents. So everybody left. Um, now we're in the process of getting everybody back. Um, but yeah, like you said, I've done... The scope of what is coaching has looked a lot different um, over the last several weeks. (laughs) I mean, I've spent more time like filing travel exemptions and, you know, writing letters to to federations, trying to, you know, get my kids out of restricted areas and things like that than I've, you know, spent time watching workouts. So that's been a new thing.
0: (laughs) Are you seeing like your number of international students coming back for the fall, like lesson or what does that look like
1: um it's an interesting question so melanie smart and carly thomas are returning and they're both in australia and they have both been granted travel exemptions as of this week and they'll be returning to seattle in about a week so that's really positive and that was a long process so we're happy about that Um, i have two international incomers sophie o'sullivan is in melbourne and Kirstie Ray is in Wellington, New Zealand, and neither one of them has a visa yet, and Mm -hmm. the visa offices in their countries are closed. So we're hopeful that they'll open and that they'll get their visas in time to come back, or to arrive, I suppose, for the first time in the fall. But I mean, there's just no guarantees at this point. We're doing everything we can. Um, So that's, you know, the things that are out of our control, like like visa offices opening or not opening, that's a stressful thing, um, because those kids are just sort of dying to be here, and they wanna Mm -hmm. be here as soon as they can. So we're, you know, we're, we're rolling with it. <laughs> wow.
0: Yeah. We'll see how, how things shake out. It's so interesting in prepping for interviews like this, because this, <laughs> the scope of the interview just changes because the world is so different right now. It's <laughs> wild. Um, I know. And I have so many directions I want to go, but since we're talking about the international athletes, I'm mm-hmm. curious, what does your recruitment process look like? For generally like or
1: like right now? <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, I guess we could do both because hopefully we'll get back
1: to generally. Good point. So I mean, generally speaking, when when I recruit, I really don't like to cast the net super far. and the reason for that is I, I do like to have a pretty small team. Mm. And you know, I was at Oregon for 13 years prior to coming to Washington and I kind of figured out over the period of time that I was there what the best number of athletes for me is. Um, now I'm the director of a program here, which means I have a lot of administrative things to do. Um, but I very intentionally in taking this job didn't want to come out of coaching. Mm-hmm. So I, I do, I manage the administrative things that require my personal attention, but I, I do have a lot of help. I have a great director of operations, Stephanie, who helps me with a lot of these things, um, so that I can stay in coaching. Um, but I do know that I can only coach, you know, I'm maxed out right now at 18 women. Okay. I'm, I am capped. <laughs> so Um, I do, I try to keep that number there or lower. So if I'm graduating three people, I recruit three people. Um, I don't just recruit to, it's not an arms race. Um, I'm not trying to get as many kids as I can. Um, I'm a really good recruiter. Um, but I've found out over time that like you can get in trouble being a good recruiter. If you try to sell something you think kids want, um, I don't do that. I try to just articulate what what I am and who I am and what my values are and what I'm trying to do with my program. And if that lines up with the values and the goals of a woman I'm recruiting, then it's a good match. So it's the the process is about kind of identifying really talented, competitive kids that, you know, would fit athletically with us and then determining which of those kids has the same value set and the same alignment and who would be a good match kind of for, for my team and for me. And, Then we move forward with those kids and we try really hard to get those kids. So, you know, the the pool narrows quickly. We go after, you know, we go hard after a few kids and not, you know, kind of a ton of kids. Well, it seems a little bit, it seems like that would be less stressful, honestly. It can be. It's a little more stressful. It's more stressful in the sense that if you, if you target three kids that you really want, and if you take a big swing and you miss, Uh then you've, you know, you're left with, without anybody, but at the same time, like I'd rather have nobody than the wrong kids.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so you, you mentioned your values and, and whatnot when you're recruiting and seeing if they line up, what, what are some of those things that you communicate that are your values when you're seeking out an athlete?
1: So really, we just want kids who are really good competitors who just love to train and love to race and love a team environment and who are just, honest and, and, and high integrity and kids who do what they say they're going to do and who are just good people. Um, you know, we're really not interested in anybody who's, um, you know, looking at this for, for the stuff Mm. or for the, Mm -hmm. you know, for the gear, you know, for the cool, like swag, you know, it's, um, I'm not a a social media person. Um, I know I I looked for you. (laughs) I know that hurts me probably in the process, but I'm, I'm slow to change on that. Um, just because I, I don't know. It's, um, it's, it's a funny thing. I, I, I do. I, I just like to spend a lot of time personally, like interacting with the kids that I coach. And um, I care more about the interactions that I'm having every day than about anyone seeing them, mm-hmm. I suppose. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know for what that's worth. I, I don't know that it helps me any recruiting, but maybe it doesn't hurt me. I'm not sure.
0: <laughs> We're going to blast this podcast out to as many social media channels as we can. <laughs> <laughs> uh well when did you know so so you had such a successful career yourself at Stanford but when did you know that you wanted to be a
1: coach so that's interesting question my my husband and I um we we got married when we were really young we were 24 wow and we'd um we'd been together a long time leading up to that so we we actually we were both in Palo Alto at Stanford and I got to graduate school at Columbia and we moved there to New York City and I was a graduate assistant and my husband Andy was a volunteer coach mm. um, and we that was kind of how we started so I, I took the job I tried to get the GA job as a way for you know to kind of get into coaching and it was also paying for my graduate school. At that point, I wasn't sure if I wanted to be a social worker, if I wanted to coach or if there was even any way for Andy and I to both coach. He for sure knew that's all he wanted to do. Mm. And I was kind of doing and honestly, coaching and social work aren't that different. The skill set is pretty similar. It's just how it's helping people and identifying the ways they needed to be helped. Um, So, yeah, I mean, I was kind of open to either route. Andy only wanted to coach. I didn't know if we'd ever be able to do it at the same time at the same place. Um, we did it at Columbia for, you know, just a year. And then we were hired at Oregon by Vin, who was our college coach. um, Like when he took the job in 2005, I think it was. God, that was a long time ago. Isn't that crazy? Time is (laughs) quite too fast. It's a time warp. I know. So yeah, we've been, um, and at that point, like I, I, I started kind of coaching in earnest. That was all I was doing when we got to Oregon. And that kind of was a big kind of learning curve in a big process and a big mentorship period for me and um, learned how just kind of learned and for a lot of years and kind of grew with the with the job the job grew with me I took on more responsibility Um, but yeah after a year or so at Oregon I knew this was all I wanted to do and yeah it's just been we've just been kind of full throttle since then
0: (laughs) Yeah. And you did so much at Oregon. It's your career. There's, is is crazy successful. Um, when you, yeah, you're welcome. When you lived in New York, how long did you, how long were you in New York city?
1: We were only in New York for a little over a year. So we lived like in this tiny apartment. That's like the size of my office now. Um, (laughs) just lived in this little place. I mean, we had nothing, um, but it was awesome. And we had no kids either, which is why it was possible. Yeah. Um, that changed soon after too. Um, yeah. How old yeah, are your so boys? We just, we're there. Um, our sons are uh, 13 and almost 10.
0: Oh, wow. I didn't realize they were yeah, so old. old. Yeah. They're old. Olds, <laughs> old, <laughs> I love it. Um, what they're a great old. experience though. I'm sure you're so glad that you got to live in New York for a year and experience that.
1: Oh yeah. Living in New York was, was awesome. I'm, I'm always happy uh, to go back there. I, I try to get back there every year if I can. Um, my sister lives there now. So yeah, i I'm, Always thankful that I had that period of time. And coaching in the Ivy League was, a, a I think, a really, really valuable experience. Mm. Um, actually, Andy and I and Chris Miltenberg were coaching there together at the oh, same time. We okay. all started the same mm-hmm. Oh, that, Yeah, I've so heard... we're, like, super bound by that. <laughs> I've heard
0: so many great things about Chris Miltenberg on this podcast.
1: Oh, Milt's awesome. He's a good friend.
0: Yeah. What do you think was so different, and how did it help you in your coaching now to coach in the Ivy Leagues?
1: Well, so... The Ivy League, I mean, it's it's tough, of course, because you have no scholarships and all of the Ivy League, all of the institutions are essentially chasing the same kids like recruiting wise, because the pool of applicants, the pool of kids mm. who are eligible academically is pretty small. Mm-hmm. And the pool of kids who are eligible academically, who want to go to an Ivy League school and who either can get the, you know, the the need based aid to do it or who have enough, you know, independent wealth to do it are you know, it's a small, it's a small pool of kids, and all of the schools are going after the smallest pool mm-hmm. kids. So, recruiting—if there isn't a place that's harder to recruit than there—yeah. And you know, recruiting kids to New York City, you know, it's a special kid that wants to live and train in New York City. So, it's a different. It was, um, you know, trying cultivating those relationships with with recruits and trying to figure out how to, you know, how to sell that place was a challenge. And you know, I think if you can learn how to learn how to recruit in the Ivy League, you can recruit anywhere. <laughs>
0: <laughs> who who's an athlete that you remember recruiting and getting there and thinking like, yes, we did it. We got them. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, so it's funny. I was there. Um, more than that, it was just the kids, there were kids that were already there cause I was there for mm-hmm. such a short, short period mm-hmm. of time. But, um, the team, the, the kids that were there while I was there were, we we had a really really good team delilah di and caroline Beerbaum and lisa stew we, we had a really good team we won the ivy league that year in cross country for the first time in like 20 years and um it was just yeah it was a really fun it was a fun dynamic and it was a fun group of kids and it was fun to watch them be part of all different things because most of them were involved in different areas in their lives but uh yeah it was it was crazy but like i left after like mm-hmm. after a year after a year so i didn't ever like see any of the kids mm-hmm. that we recruited which was interesting <laughs>
0: Okay. So talk about going to Oregon. How, how did that all pan out? And you mentioned coach Vin, what talk about your relationship mm-hmm. with him and what he taught you.
1: So Vin and I go way back. He recruited me out of high school when I was you know, 17 and I'm 40 now. Um, so he and I, you know, he recruited me going into college and then I was coached by him and Dina Evans, who I still talk uh-huh. to Dina probably every week and she's a very good friend. I live in her hometown now, which is a funny oh, kind of that's full cool. circle. Oh, I've had her on. She's awesome. Dean is great. Like I've now met like all Dean's like childhood friends <laughs> and like they're now my friends. It's really that's <laughs> like awesome. a funny way that yeah, it's funny how it all shook out in the end. Um Oh, you're in her yeah, hometown. So I, she's in yeah, cuz she's I in, live in Bay or... Mar- I live in Mercer Island, which yeah. is where Dean is Dean is from Mercer Island, Washington. And so I'm random. living in her hometown. And like, I'm friends with all of her childhood friends. That's so funny. <laughs> Such a it's coincidence. Like really, it's really funny. Um, it's great. When I need to make friends on Mercer Round, I named her up <laughs> Dina Day. And someone's like, Oh, you know her? She's like, She's a legend. I'm like, it out. <laughs> That's <laughs> awesome. Yeah. So, like, Vin, when he, it was interesting. When he went to Oregon, he'd already left coaching. So, like, he coached us at Stanford. And then the year after I graduated, it was Andy's fifth year. Um, he left coaching and he went to Oberlin college to become an athletic director. And people forget that part. Mm. Um, And he did. So he like totally got out of coaching entirely. And then he got roped back into the Oregon job because it was kind of this perfect platform for him to go on this whole, um, you know, USA just bringing the track meets back to Hayward field and bidding on the Olympic trials and all the like really large scale things that he ended up doing, but he needed to be at Oregon to do it. So he took the job there, but really what he needed help with was the actual like day-to-day coaching of the kids and Mm. recruiting of the kids. And those are things that like he was like interested in still, but like he was more interested, I think, in doing all the big scale stuff and teaching Andy and I how to do the like in the trenches day-to-day coaching stuff, which worked out great because that's what we wanted to Mm. do also. But like, I didn't have any business coaching anybody when I was 25. I didn't know how to do it. Like, you know, I wanted to do it. I was eager to learn and I was eager to work hard, but I didn't know how. I mean, I didn't have my own training group for like five years, um, maybe more. But he so it was kind of like a gradual process of like him kind of mentoring us through it and like giving us more responsibility as he kind of stepped out. And then after, you know, after a couple of years, he had stepped out of coaching entirely. And I was coaching the women's distance runners and Andy was coaching the men's distance runners and that role kind of grew over time um but i do think that that it that's pretty atypical in coaching to have somebody that mentors you like exactly to the position that you're trying yeah. to do um which is odd because in every other profession that's kind of like requisite mm-hmm, <laughs> right mm-hmm. like if you need you know, the experience. Like, Like you job, like you don't teach in a classroom until you've like student taught for a while. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, no one just like throws you into an operating room. Um, (laughs) Right. But it's, you know, we don't have a formalized like coaching track in, in the United States. You know, there are lots of courses you can take and there are lots of certifications you can get. But really, like nobody brings you, you have to seek it out. Like you have to find somebody to mentor you um and you have to ask them to teach you there's no like route to be taught um so i'm i'm thankful i mean vin is a tough person to work with because he's very demanding and he knows mm. that so he won't be surprised to hear me say it um, <laughs> i love it but like you know i'm very thankful that you know he put the screws to me for a long time and i'm a lot better of a coach because of it
0: yeah that's awesome how did you when you were so young and inexperienced kind of being thrown into it how did you um like show those athletes like, I know what I'm doing, you know, because was there ever like a bit of an imposter
1: syndrome going on? I mean, it was it was it a bit of a push and pull, I'd say, towards at the beginning I was very clearly the assist like I was mm. assisting him. Mm-hmm. I was he was writing the workouts, I was and he you know, he would he would talk me through things and walk me through it and ask me what I thought, and then I would start to write workouts and he would there was sort of a point, I guess, where you know, he, it was, it just kind of evolved where I was like, you know, just taking on more. Um, I recruited everybody. So like the, every woman on the team, when she arrived, knew me pretty well already. Mm. So there was never any, like, this is who this person is. Um, and we worked together, but yeah, it just sort of evolved over time that he kind of moved more out of it, but it definitely was less complicated when I was just, you know, kind of doing it myself for sure. But yeah, that's, it's like anything, you just have to kind of, you have to just keep learning until you can do it yourself. And there's always a period of time where you think you can do maybe more than you're, than you're doing. And you just have to work through it. And it, it was, it was definitely choppy, but we may work.
0: <laughs> okay. I'm going to, I'm going to read this so I don't get it wrong. <laughs> um, So at the university of Oregon, you went from assistants assistant coach to the head coach and um, in 2005, the team had not qualified for NCAAs in five years, and you took that team to runner-up in 2007, 2008, to national champions in 2012 and 2016. And I have got to hear and, – and let me know if I misquoted any of that.
1: I was never the head coach. Oh, That's you were. Only, I was always only the assistant coach. Here we
0: go. See, look but what I, I do. Yeah,
1: well, I mean, you're right. It was – I mean, I was. I was – autonomously coaching the distance runners okay but I my title was always only assistant coach
0: let me tell the listeners too I will let you all know that I am not great with knowing the ins and outs of college athletics so when people say you know okay so I want to hear and I think the listeners will find fascinating what happened in 2016 when you guys (laughs) won <laughs> and you won cross country coach of the year because I watched your post-race interview and I was like, Whoa. And then I read about how you guys were ranked going into that race <laughs> and just like the, the finish line lean. And so can you tell us about that 2016 championship?
1: Yeah, that was a fun year. It was, um, it's interesting. So we had won I'd had a team win in 2012. And that was with like Jordan Hasse and Alexi Pappas and like that whole crowd. And that year it was super stressful because I knew we had a good team and I thought we could win. And I was extraordinarily stressed the entire fall. And when we did win, we won by a lot. Mm. And I just remember like relief barfing and like <laughs> moving on. Like I wasn't even, it wasn't even, I don't know. It wasn't as fun as I thought it would be. And I promised myself in that moment, if I was ever fortunate enough to win again, I would enjoy it a lot more. Oh. And so I was fortunate to win another one. And hopefully it isn't the last one. But um, it was, yeah, it was that whole fall was just the best because we, the group of women I had, they were, they weren't very good on September 1st. They were really bad, actually. Mm. Um, we came up to Washington, actually, and we raced the Huskies and we just got an ass beat down. Um, oh, it was bad. We were, they were, we were not fit. We were not race ready. But they were a talented group of women and it, and they were tough. They were just they were tough, tough, gritty competitors. And you could tell if they just got a little fitter and they could be patient enough and they could just kind of grind through another six weeks of training. They could probably probably be pretty good. They just couldn't get discouraged with the results while they were still like getting there. So they just sort of like raced themselves into shape and they got fitter as the weeks went by. And they just kind of like collectively bought into this process of like, we're just going to get better every week, better every week. And, you know, we were fourth at the Pac-12 championships and we ran hard and we were fourth at the West Regional Championships and we ran hard. Like nobody sat out like and then they got to the NCAAs and they just. They thought they could do it. Like they thought they could get a trophy and I thought they could break 200 points and get a trophy. I, in my wildest dreams, I didn't think they could score 125 points and win. Mm. Um, but they did. And, but it was, um, they just, they were super, it was a kind of a a whole bunch of things. Colorado was a heavy, heavy favorite that year, which I think helped us because Mm. they were so good and they lit us up so much at the conference meet. It was like absurd to think anyone could beat them. They were so good. And um, that, yeah, it was, um, it took all the heat off of us. Like we had absolutely no expectations mm. and we were able to just, I mean, we, we a hundred percent stole the race. Like so cool. they just, um, Katie Rainsberger was a freshman and Allie Cash was um, a senior that year or no, she, yeah, she was a fourth year. And they just like went to the front and ran as hard as they could and it was, yeah, I mean, all, we went seven for seven um, that day. Like, every kid had her best race, which almost never happens. Right. Um, and our fifth runner, uh, Maggie Schmadek, actually, she had her best, like, her career best race. And she out leaned a kid uh, at the finish line by a tenth of a second to win the race for us by one point. Can you and imagine? Woo. It was crazy. I know. It was crazy. But it was it was funny because um, anytime the race is that close it just takes forever to get the score right Uh because they have to like, they had to count everybody and make sure that it wasn't wrong. And then they also had to like check the bibs and they had to make sure that like Maggie had actually gotten in front of the other kid. Um, which was, so it took a really long time for the results to come up. And I, I actually, it was, it was Michigan that we beat by a point. Mm. And I just remember sitting, I was sitting on a picnic table with Mike who's a good friend of mine the Michigan coach. okay, And, uh, he, he was sitting next to me and we, we could see that the Colorado women, you know, hadn't had a good day and they were upset. And he said, I think we beat Colorado. And I said, oh, yeah. He's like, yeah, I think you did, too. I <laughs> said, maybe. And then he said, how many points do you think you had? And I, and I was like, how many points do you think you had? So he writes it down. He's adding them up and he writes it down. And I did the same thing. And then we traded papers and we had the same number. Oh, my gosh. And he was, because you know, at that point you don't know who the individuals are and all that crap. So, like, you know, we're sitting there trading numbers and we're looking at them, and he's like, "How long do you think till everyone else figures it out?" I was like, "I don't know." He's like, (laughs) "You think someone would be talking to us?" I was like, "Huh." (laughs) And we just sat on this picnic table, the two of us, for like 45 minutes while no one else had any idea that it was between these two schools or that it was that close. (laughs) Yeah, it was like the funniest thing ever. <laughs>
0: oh, my gosh.
1: Did you have a hunch at all? Or were you just like, nah, 50-50? I had no idea. I mean, I thought, the and the girls, so the girls during this whole period of time were locked in the tent because I sent our alternate back with them and said, just said like, I don't know what the score is. They ran great. Um, just like don't leave nobody in nobody out uh-huh. stay here uh-huh. so they just sat in that tent and they just waited it out and they thought I mean I think they thought they got third or fourth like they, they knew they ran extraordinarily well uh-huh. and that was honestly like the best thing about the whole day was all of my favorite pictures from that race are from before we knew the score uh. because like they're so happy because they just they knew they just controlled their attitude and their effort and they did their best and we had no outcome yet all we had was the effort and they were so happy just knowing they did their best they didn't even know that they'd won they just knew they did their best and that was enough um and then they found what they won, and they went nuts but <laughs> i mean yeah i just i had no idea and then all of a sudden like i heard people gasping and i turned around and looked at the scoreboard and i saw that it was us and it was one point uh. i was just like oh. there's someone has this crazy video of me sprinting into the tent and telling them which was like maybe the most fun thing I've got to do. Like They didn't know. In like 15 years. They had no clue. No, they didn't know. Oh, yeah. like it when was, you told I mean, them? It was so funny. It, the whole thing is, it's funny. I think about it all the time. It was just because it was just funny. Oh, it's amazing. <laughs> so when you told them, did jaws drop? Were they like, wait, what? They're screaming. I mean, I, can, I could try to round this video up. Uh, we have, have to find like. it. Yeah, it's not hard to find. I think the girls all have it. Still. OK, um, we'll get it. I we'll mean, we still have notes. like a text group with everybody on it that we paying still every now and then when things happen. Oh, um, wow. Yeah. But it was just uh, yeah, it was just it was a cool day because I mean, it, no matter what happens in sports for them for the rest of their lives, like yeah. that'll be a day that they'll always have. And, you know, that kicked off a triple crown for the team for the rest mm-hmm. of the year. But like that that day was just for all of those reasons. Just the way they came together and just believed in, in the process the whole season and believed in getting better and believed in each other and then just watching them just capitalize on 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 their own ability and just run out of their minds on the final day was just awesome. It was wow. Yeah. That's so it was, cool. it was a it was a gift for sure to me. Like it's something I'll I'll never forget as a coach.
0: Yeah, like yeah. when you hang it up and retire in, you know, lots of years, that has to be will always be like what top top
1: three. Oh, if I get hit by a bus tomorrow it'll be okay Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh what pressure on the number five runner though I mean I know every runner has pressure for their own for their own reasons and I'm sure being the number one runner is really stressful too but man to get that lean at the line
1: and the crazy thing is is because it's cross-country like you don't even know yeah like Maggie was in there's no chance in hell maggie knew in that moment that getting 64th or 65th Uh mattered yeah she had no idea all she knew was she had to get as many people as she could yeah you know like sam Nadell, who's coaching at north carolina now with milt i mean she passed danny jones by a tenth of a second to be like i think 21st to 20th and there's no way she knew in that moment that it mattered you know they were just snatching bodies and trying to get every person they could but that's the crazy thing about cross country is like you just have this like effort and you can't even quantify what it means until it's over. Yeah. <laughs> it's the
0: weirdest thing. But you have to but know that every single body might count. Everybody, yeah. Yeah.
1: Everybody, everybody matters. You know, like Katie grabbed a couple of kids and laughed straight away. I mean, she went from like 13th to fourth over the last 600 wow. meters, which is awesome. But like, yeah, it was just the dramatic thing that was just the fifth kid, because right. Maggie, because it just happened to be that the girl she leaned was the same, was the girl from the team we were trying to be. Uh huh. But then things came around for that girl too, because she ended up winning the 1500 that year outdoors.
0: She had a good season.
1: Yeah. yeah right. So oh, a good year. Everybody got theirs. <laughs>
0: wow. That's so cool. Yeah. I watched the video of you post race and there was just so much like joy in your voice. It was just like, had to be the best day of your life. But, um, I mean, I guess my, maybe minus having the days you had your children, whatever, but
1: <laughs> Those things hurt more. <laughs> yeah, that's true.
0: Those are painful days. um, But I loved, too, that you, going into the race, you said you told the team, like, don't look at social media. Don't look at what anybody else is doing. You don't need to look at what anybody else is ranked at. We're just going to, like, go do what we
1: know to do. Well, yeah, they were ranked 11th, so nothing to see there.
0: Do you typically uh... do that, though, like – You know, I imagine as an athlete in college, you're looking at what your competitors are doing and you kind of have to, to an extent, but do you, how do you teach your kids to kind of stay in their, you know, lane and focused on what their mission is?
1: It's a hard thing. And I mean, it's not getting any easier. Like I think back to when I was in college and I mean, I had my first email, like when I got (laughs) to Stanford, like I didn't have a cell phone, Uh like like, our email was, like, Pine. remember uh-huh. Pine? We have to, like, it's, like... <laughs>
0: I don't remember
1: Pine, but... And I'm not... I'm only a couple oh, years bad. younger
0: than you, but I do I remember, mean, you know, IU Webmail and all that.
1: Yeah, like, we didn't have, like, you know... Yeah, I didn't... We had no... There was no, Was like, Gmail even a thing yet? I don't think so. No. No. We, was like, you had, like, I'm fast at Hotmail was like, everybody's, <laughs> like, high school email. Um, Yahoo. Yeah. Yeah, we had... it it, it was a lot easier back then to to pay Mm -hmm. attention just to the things that were happening around you on your team, because it's all you knew about. Mm -hmm. Now these guys, they can go on social media and they can watch what any other team in the country is doing on any given day. Mm -hmm. And it's like, it's, I don't know that it's super positive if I'm honest, right. (laughs) You know, it's now on the one hand, absolutely. I think it's great to be, to be motivated by awesome things that are happening around the world, especially now there's a connectedness, you know, get in the pandemic about uh, with runners and athletes and people like keeping each other motivated, all that's great. But in terms of like how it plays out when kids start comparing themselves to some like perfect picture that they see, I mean, that's a slippery slope and Mm it's, it's hard. Um, I've always tried with these women um, on our team to just really get them to hone in on, on just us and themselves. Just what are we doing here today? Like, what can you control? What can you do better? How do you be the best version of yourself? And, you know, pretty generally being the best version of oneself involves really not comparing yourself to any other person. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it's it's hard. There's a lot of noise out there. I don't um I don't envy kids now. That's for sure. There's so yeah. much noise.
0: Um, I was reading a book or listening to a podcast and the guy said, I will not check my email, I will not look at social media, I won't do any of that. And I I particularly resonated with I will not check my email in the first Mm. hour of the day, because what if whatever Mm. it is, is something negative or something positive, but like, I want to be able to control how I feel that day, not based on what any email is telling me or what someone else is posting, you know, on social media. Um, Interesting. All right, I wanna tell you all about the Grit Summer Distance Project. This is a virtual event meant to challenge your current distance goals to go beyond your normal to churn out miles on the hottest days of the year. Woohoo! that sounds like fun. Hottest days of the year running. To do this, you choose a distance tier, so you can do 25, 75, 150, 225, or 300 miles, and complete that mileage in a 30-day span. I'm doing 25 because I'm coming off a foot injury. I just ran for the first time in six weeks yesterday. And it was, I want to say it was amazing, but it wasn't. It was really hard. (laughs) I ran for eight minutes. Uh, You can choose your 30 days and you can still register for this through August 24th. This is sponsored by Polar Asics Firefly Recovery and Running Warehouse, and it benefits the Donna Foundation, which is a foundation that you know, if you listen to this podcast, is near and dear to my heart. This is a great way to kickstart some fitness goals. I know with no races going on right now, it is hard to be committed to any sort of goal. I actually committed to riding my bike 15 miles every single day last week to help raise money for Tommy Rivers Poozies family and it was huge to have that accountability to know that I committed to whoever was donating money to this fundraiser to ride my bike 15 miles every day. That was a huge accountability tool for me. And I've just found in these weird times with no races, I need some sort of goal that I'm committed to. And the Grit Summer Distance Project is a great way to set a goal like that. So you all can go to believeintherun.com slash grit and use the code Lindsay5 to get $5 off your registration. When you do sign up, you get all kinds of great gear as well, including a distance-specific Asics tri-blend t-shirt, a Boko gear neck gaiter, a soft enamel pin, a grit sticker, and a temporary tattoo pack. Um, all right. There's tons of grand prizes that you'll be entered to win as well. So again, that's believeintherun.com slash grit to check it out. And remember, you can sign up through August 24th. All right, friends, enjoy the rest of my episode with Marisa Powell. So I'm curious as a college coach, how you decide, you know, how you individualize different athletes training, you know, when one one athlete might be better at running higher mileage and another mm-hmm. athlete might be more well-suited for a lower mileage. How
1: do you do that? So that's a good question. It's, it's hard. I mean, that that's part of why I, I like to have is uh, the number of athletes that I have. I feel like with, with 18 or fewer kids, I can really spend a ton of time on everybody's individual preparation. I think if I had more kids, I'd have to, um, you know, I'd have to give some of them the same stuff or it would just be hard. My, my, my biggest um, limitation is the amount of time that i have mm. like my most finite resource is time yeah so like and i like to spend a lot of it with my women and i'm horrible at farming any of it out and i know that like i have to do it all myself so that's just given those things um i you know i have to have a small team so that i can actually do exactly what you said which is make everybody's program like really individualized you know, for me in the recruiting process, learning what's worked for kids in the past is is helpful information. Um, you know, most of the kids we get are pretty good already. So like some, they've got some sense of what has worked or hasn't worked when they get here. But really it's, it's you know, the first couple months with kids, it's just watching and, you know, you, you set a load for them and, and you see how they cope with it. And then you, you just have to start tinkering and adjusting. And, you know, I have kids who run like, My 800 meter group, my like pure 800 meter runners, like Carly Thomas and Marlena, like those guys run like maybe 25, Mm -hmm. 28 miles a week, Mm -hmm. not much, but they do really, really good like anaerobic capacity stuff. Um, Whereas, you know, I've had, I have kids who run 70 or 80 miles a week kind of all the time because that's just where they, that's where they thrive. Um, I have kids who... Do really well off a lot of threshold work and not a lot of hard intervals. And I have kids who are the reverse of that. Mm. So it's it is. It's just learning. Um, I like to. I'm a paper person. Uh, like all of. I'll show you one of these. All of my kids are. Yikes! They fill out paper logs for me. Paper,
0: paper logs. Log. See, she's I'm old a school.
1: Paper log person. Um, I like the paper logs because I feel like when. I, I give everybody a log at the beginning of the week and um, I fill out one half and they fill out the other half with like comments and how they feel and how they're doing. And then they have to get their log to me by Sunday evening mm. so that I can produce them a new one and hand it to them on Monday morning. So during this pandemic, um, you know, it's been interesting because they, they want paper still. <laughs> they're used to it. Yeah. Are, are they scanning your logs? <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. Um, they like paper, but I do, what, what I get from the paper just generally is a lot of um, just qualitative feedback, mm-hmm. just this is how I felt, this is how I'm doing. Um, so that helps me to, to make adjustments. I don't make the new logs until the old ones come in so that I can look at like the three or yeah. four prior and see like if I bump somebody from 50 to 55 miles, like how are they coping with that? Are they getting a little more tired? Are they slowing down too much in the long run? Like what are, what are the effects of an increased load? Um, you know, if I'm if I'm changing something with the waste program, anything that I'm doing that's different, I just want to be able to see kind of how they're adapting. Um, So, and I like to have a written, obviously I talk to them every day too, but I like to have a a written kind of copy so that I can go back and look at it kind of over time and then like see trends as they develop. So I'm a big paper person, which only bit me once when we moved Mm. from Eugene to here Mm -hmm. because I had like 13 years of logs to move paper lot. It was like, I'm not, I mean, it was hundreds of pounds of paper, like stupid. Good thing you weren't in New York City still. <laughs> I mean, it could have been like a zip drive, but it was hundreds right. of pounds of paper. It was <laughs> so stupid. But I mean, I'm happy. <laughs> yeah,
0: I imagine, I mean, this is people always say like journaling is so good for you. I imagine writing it out instead of typing it is a bit therapeutic as well for the athletes.
1: It's interesting you say that because I've had the same thought. I think yeah. there is a journaling effect. Yeah. Um, I found, I, I don't do online logs with them because I think if there's just like a text box, they just click a number and move on. Uh-huh. Whereas like they'll write me, I mean, they write so much. Like Ali Shadler will write on onto the back of the sheet and fill the whole thing out and just about anything and everything. And it's so valuable for me. Like it's, it's a real window into what's happening with these kids. And it's, it's, it's it is, and they, t- they, they, They know that I take a lot of time to make them. So they like give me the respect of putting Mm. a lot of time into, you know, the completed product. So it's, it is, it's a good, it's a very valuable tool for me. And it's a, it's a meaningful interaction between me and my athletes.
0: What do you do when you don't have someone who's very wordy and they're like, felt great moving on. Like, are you like, you need to give me a little more. I need to see what's going
1: on with your emotions here. Well, I. Generally, when they see what the others are doing, they're like, oh, that's a log? Okay. I mean, still, some of them trend to not, you know, some of them are less verbose and some of them are, you know, more wordy, but, um, anything's better than nothing. More is better than less for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I encourage them to write a lot.
0: Okay. So tell us about taking the job at UW and what that looked like and why, why you, um, decided to go there? Like, how did you find yourself there?
1: So it was really, really fast. Um, I will say I I didn't interview for any jobs when I was at Oregon the whole time. Like I was super happy to stay there. Um, I had planned to stay there. Andy and I were happy. Um, We had a whole like really great community of people there. Um, really good friends. Like we built a whole life there. Mm-hmm. You know, we had like a great house in a neighborhood and people that we knew really well.
0: Oh, that's I still hard. go down there and see hard. them.
1: Yeah. So like we were, we were very rooted there. My kids were born and grew up there. Um, so we, you know, the decision to do this wasn't like an easy one. we didn't take it lightly. Um, it was, I mean, honestly the whole thing happened in six days. Really? Like, yeah. What they, happened? <laughs> so, <laughs> So it was, um, yeah, the timing was just right. It was the NCA's was that spring in Eugene and it kind of came like it went, went really well for the group that I worked with. Um, it was a really good year um, for me and and the distance runners. And, you know, I got a call. I got a call from the AD and, um, you know, she was interested in, in talking. And, um, you know, I, I, Vin was our sport administrator. So I you know I told him and he was like, all right, you know, I, I went through all the proper channels and um, but Andy and I like we were both like just super transparent with the people at Washington that, you know, this is something we're interested in, but we're really not interested in dragging this out like mm. um, they were not interested in dragging it out. It, the job opened in May unexpectedly. I never expected this job to open. Wow. Um, so I had never thought about it because it was, you know, I, I just didn't I didn't ever think it was going to become available. Um, so it wasn't like I'd been eyeing it or some weird Mm -hmm, thing. mm -hmm. Um, but we, yeah, I mean, it was just, a. they contacted us. Um, there was just like an instant connection between us and the administration here. Um, the value alignment was there. Absolutely. Like the things that Jen Cohen, uh, really cares about are the things that we really care about. Um, so it, it was a quick process. It was like, we talked, um, we talked again, we came up and interviewed, we got the job that night. We took it the next day.
0: Wow. So
1: yeah.
0: <laughs> were they recruiting you as a team, you and Andy?
1: It was very clear. Like I got the first call and it was, you know, the first thing I said was I, my understanding here is that, you know, we're both, this is okay. both of us, yeah. right? Like this, this is, and, um, because there was, there was another school that was, um, trying to hire Andy and they told him he couldn't hire his wife.
0: Oh, hmm, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um,
1: So it was like, all right. Bye. bye.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So Um, so
1: she was she was on that same page like that was
0: part of her plan as well. I mean,
1: yeah. Once she met us, I'm sure she needed to see our dynamic and make sure it was going to make sense. Um, Our softball coach, Heather Tarr and her husband work together um, and they have here for a long time. And our women's basketball coach and her husband work together. So it's like she was so cool. I know it's, it's funny. It's, um, I don't think it was, I don't think she was like trying to hire a couple. Right. I think she just, you know, Andy and I had, we both had good coaching resumes. We were people she was familiar with, but she interviewed us together to, and I'm sure part of that was wanting to understand kind of like how we would interact together and need I'm sure she needed to see us together in order to assess if it was something she was interested in pursuing or not. Um, but then it just became like it was actually a, a conversation with the administration. Like, how do you guys want to set this up? Like, do you want to be co-head coaches? Do you mm-hmm. want to be head women's coach and head men's coach? And, um, you know, we just, we decided kind of collectively after they decided they wanted to hire us, then it became the semantics of like, how do you want to set it up? And we helped with that. Um, how did you decide? Want to be, we didn't want to be head men's and head women's coach because we didn't want it to look like we were like splitting the program. Uh-huh. Um, because we didn't it's not we're a combined program okay so you know we just we landed on titles that they want they thought were important and you know for us the titles are less important than the actual breakdown of what we do Um, generally speaking like I mean there's a lot of administration in head coaching Uh and that's been something that we're you know we're learning and we're having to do more of like I didn't do any fundraising at Oregon. Mm. Um, I do a lot of fundraising now. Like I do a lot of letter writing. I do a lot of, um, you know, I just, I do a lot of admin and so does Andy, but our skill sets are different. Like he's a lot better at budget and and like number crunching and I'm a lot better at letter writing. (laughs) So I do all this and he does all of that. And by splitting the admin between the two of us, it, it, It just means we're both doing 50% instead of one person doing a hundred percent admin, which means we can stay in coaching a lot more. Uh Yeah. So that's, I think that's why it's been a really good thing. We just split it down the middle. Um, Like I handle all the compliance and scholarships for the women. He handles compliance and scholarships for the men. Um, You know, we, we just really parcel stuff out and we have a really good deal. Like I said before, and you know, she manages all of our meats, which the Dempsey meets are a beast. Um, they're, a, they're a labor of love.
0: They're a lot of work. The AD manages them.
1: <laughs> no, or my, your... uh, my director of operations. Oh, yeah, right. She's our oh, meat right. director. Okay. So like she does all the heavy lifting on that stuff. Um, So it's all of the, the stuff that isn't like coaching the kids. Uh-huh. We split, we split that stuff up so okay. that we're not, n- n- neither Andy nor I is like totally overwhelmed by it.
0: So what's it like though working with your husband so much? Because obviously you're home with him, then you guys go to work together. Like, but are you doing separate things throughout the day so you don't sit
1: side by side all day? What does that look like? It's funny. We actually there are days I don't see Andy at all. Okay, like at work. I mean, the, the pandemic is, is a different thing. Sure, but because we live in the same house. But um, it is funny when we when we have like our head coaches calls like we. Um, Yeah, we don't sit on the same screen because that's weird. But mm -hmm, mm -hmm. we have to sit far enough apart in the house to not get like weird feedback and like Uh hear each other. So we like it's just funny because you know, we're on the call and like we're clearly in different rooms, like in the same house. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, generally at work, like um, there are whole days where we don't interact that much just because like I'll have practice in the morning and you know, he'll have practice, you know, maybe later in the day and I'll have a series of meetings that I have to do and he'll have a series of meetings that he has to do. Um, yeah, I mean, we, I think because we kind of have divided the genders, like Mm -hmm. in terms of who we, there's not any overlap in who we coach. Mm -hmm. Like, like it's, I coach the women and he coaches the men and then our assistants. That's the one thing that we're, we're different from our assist, all of our staff in that way. Like Toby coaches the men's and women's like multis and vaults and horizontal jumps Nino coaches the men's and women's throwers. Okay. Um, You know, Jesh coaches the men's and women's sprinters. Andy only coaches the men's distance runners. And I only coach the women's distance runners. Okay. So like, we don't, I think what makes it work for us is like, like, I don't, nothing I do requires me having to convince Andy. It's a good idea. Mm -hmm. And nothing Andy does requires him having to convince me. It's a good idea. So like, we don't have to agree on something. Yeah. Like, I can say like, well, I think, you know, I think Carly should run this 800 and he could think it's a stupid idea, but like, I don't need him to agree with me.
0: But do you ever yeah. ask him to like bounce it off of him?
1: Oh, a hundred percent. Like he's a huge resource for me because he's, he's the best business coach I know. I mean, I talk to him about things all the time, mm-hmm. but like if part of the job was convincing each other yeah. that like, if I needed his approval to do something or if he needed my approval to do something, that would be like a strain, Yeah, you know? And we don't totally. like that's we've set it up like I don't report to him. He doesn't report to me like we both report to our our like, administration separately. Um, so like nothing we do, like if I want to give somebody a scholarship increase, I don't need Andy to tell me that it's like that I can or can't do it. And he doesn't need me like he manages the men. I manage the women.
0: Oh, that's so, nice. so like,
1: yeah, so that I think um, I think that helps with, you know, keeping things like not stressful in that way, if that makes sense. So like we can just be each other's biggest supporters and we can be each other's like champions, but we're not like, I don't have to, the stress of having to like convince him that something I'm doing is, is a good idea. If he doesn't think it is, <laughs> we can agree to disagree and still be at work. <laughs> yeah,
0: totally. We should all learn that for everything. It doesn't in life, happen. Honestly. I mean,
1: And, and that's not, I, I don't mean to say like, we just are like, you know, biting heads all the time. No. There are act- honestly very few things we don't, Agree on. Uh-huh. But it, it is, it makes me a lot less stressed to think that I don't have to convince anybody that what yeah. I want to do is what I want to do. Yeah.
0: yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> How do you guys, in non pandemic times, I feel like I always have to keep it in this asterisk because I'm like, I know that right now is not the normal. Like, not
1: normal. Yes.
0: Right. How do you guys manage um, the travel schedule, though, since you're both traveling with your kids? And I'm assuming since you moved, you're not anywhere near like, close family
1: yeah so we've never been anywhere near our family so those these days are a lot easier than they were 10 years ago because your kids are bigger yeah like my kids are old now like yeah that the toughest days we had were days when our kids were really young I mean I remember coming up to the Dempsey and like when I had like Owen was I flew with Owen. I think back to the stuff I did. And I'm like, I I swear I like blocked it all out. Vin (laughs) and I talked about this at one point, like last year. and I was like, do you remember these things (laughs) happening? Like I flew to Fayetteville with Owen when he was like five weeks old or something. Like just ridiculous (laughs) stuff. Bring him with, no big deal. You just forget. Like Uh like, at the time you're like, this is what it is. So Uh this is what I'm doing. And then like, you know, you just won. Well, now <laughs> like,
0: you, and now I see new moms with little tiny babies. And I'm like, what's she doing? What's she doing with that baby? And I'm like, you were doing that stuff too, Lindsay. You just didn't, I was in a wedding. I remember and I was like three weeks postpartum. And now I look you just with forget. my first and I'm like, what was I doing? Yeah. I was a hot you just, mess.
1: You just, but like, you just do it. Yeah. Cause it's what you have to do. Like, yeah. I remember I was telling somebody this recently, actually. I remember like being in the Dempsey with Owen and like, in between events, like at one of the meets up here when I was at Oregon, and just like crawl, like Kelly Strong was the was the women's coach here, and she like let me into like little alcoves and I just like crawled into the dark and like nursed my son and like cried. It was like it was so awful. It was, like went back out. And like, you know, now it's a different situation. My kids are older, but yeah. it's um when they were young, we had a just we had a really, really good uh nanny who helped us. Her name is Michaela, she's in Eugene. And she would stay overnight with our kids and she, she could hold down the fort and we just had to make, she, she was essentially family. Yeah. And you know, things are a lot easier now because our kids are in school all day and they can kind of stay alone a little bit. Someone can just like kick it at our house overnight and it's a lot better, but it's, it's definitely the, the toughest thing to be a woman in coaching if you have little kids, because there's just like, you know, you can't just tap out for a while and come back Mm -hmm. you just have to kind of figure it out. And the traveling part's hard. I mean, the good thing about Andy and I traveling together is we see each other. Like yeah, it's I mean, if the there was one year I didn't coach for a year at Oregon when my second son was born. Um, and that was the hardest year, like on our marriage, I would mm-hmm. say, because I we never saw he was gone all the time, and I was home all the time. And home with <laughs> little kids. I was home with little kids, which I'm not suited to do. Yeah. And he was <laughs> we'll just leave it there. But <laughs> he was he was gone. Like more because he was ha- like having to help more with the women, uh-huh. and I was home all the time, and it sucked. And you know, this this suits us best because we, you know, we're together a lot, we're we like traveling together, it's fun. Um, our kids only really like this has been a weird time because our kids aren't used to like having us around all the time, like, yeah, they don't know any other way, they're just you know, they grew up with us like you know, this was the first mother's day I ever had. That was day two of the pack 12s. Uh-huh. And like, and it kind of sucked. Like you I was... wanted to be in the pack 12s. <laughs> Own that. I love it. Right. I mean, I always come home that night. Yeah. Fine.
0: Um, <laughs> Our oldest is eight. And I feel like we're entering this really fun. We have been for like a couple years now, but like, I just oh, like, yeah, eight is so fun. Eight is
1: really fun. My younger son is, he's nine and a half. So yeah. He's, yeah. How old is your younger son? So I have four,
0: but, um, they're two, four, six, and eight, basically. Oh,
1: the little ones, two. Two. Yeah. It's crazy. Uh
0: Uh-huh. But it's, it's like, it's funny having the two little ones because we're like, what are we doing being toddler parents? Because I, I forget. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm so (laughs) gravitated towards like what the bigger kids are doing. It's so fun to watch them play sports and do all these things and just be more independent that I'm like. I am so done being a toddler mom, to be completely honest. Oh, yeah, but
1: your two-year-old will be like the most like independent oh, kid ever. Oh, for sure. For yeah. sure. Oh, yeah.
0: But yeah, this is a fun... We're like... Ugh, eight is just so fun. Hey, friends. I'm going to take a quick break here and thank Curex for supporting this episode of the podcast. These are the most comfortable orthotics you're ever going to find. And they're custom for your feet. You go onto the Curex website and you fill out your own profile so you can tell them exactly what your feet are built like and they will send you an orthotic that is custom for your profile I have super high arches myself so they sent me an insole that is specific for my foot and it feels really comfortable the insole is thin but provides you with just the right amount of cushioning and I love that it's just not one size fits all they actually send you an orthotic that is just for your specific profile You all can try them out. It will provide you with some great comfort on your runs if you're looking for a little bit of extra support on those feet. If you go to curex.us, you can use the code IHA15 to get 15% off your order. I will put the links to that in the show notes at lindseyhine.com. If you're looking for additional content from me, I've got bonus episodes over on my Patreon page. You can support the show for as little as $3 or $5 a month and get access to those extra episodes over there. All right, friends, enjoy the rest of my conversation with Marisa Powell. Yeah. So I wanted to ask you about coaching women in college and just like what is that like as their kind of leader and mentor, someone these women look up to? Um, It's just such a transformative time in a young woman's life you know, so many battles that you go through with eating disorders and things like that at that time. Um, and I just wonder what your message is to to the women to kind of cultivate healthy relationships
1: with their bodies and running. Yeah, sure. That's, um, you know, that's a loaded one and nobody wants to talk sure. about it. Um, but I'm happy to. Um, I mean, because honestly, that, that's what we do. And that's kind of my philosophy around it. And somebody asked me once, um, you know, how often do you talk to your women about like, body weight and like body image and like Mm. confidence. And the, the answer was every kid every day. And that Mm. remains the answer. Um, my, in dealing with women, I, I I think it's important that we model healthy behaviors around food and talking about nutrition and talking about self-esteem. And I think if we make, if we make nutrition and if we make body weight, the elephant in the room, it stays that way. Mm. And, um, my, My stance really has been, I'd say since, since I've been like, kind of working with women has been like, by not talking about weight and by not talking about body image and how those things interact with athletics, if you avoid the conversation, you're teaching kids that they shouldn't talk about it. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And you're, you're, you're giving them the message that, you know, either these thoughts are disordered or these topics are off limits or I don't care to talk to you about this. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do care to talk to them about it. And I care to talk to my women about anything that's causing stress in their lives and anything that's causing stress in their running. And um, I do, I do find that some kids come to college and they've, they've got a really healthy relationship with food and some kids don't, mm-hmm. and some kids don't know if they do or not. Mm. <laughs> and it's um it's really interesting because you can say you can have a uh, a freshman on your team and say like, you know so wh- how many miles did you run a week last year? Oh about forty, you know, what's your resting heart rate? oh, it's about you know forty two what's your Faraday? that's fifty eight what pace do you do your tempo runs Oh like six oh five you know what's your what's your normal training weight what <laughs> you know it's just like you know how many hours do you sleep a night, about nine uh-huh. um you know what's your race weight what <laughs> and it's you know, it's it's they're not used to being having to even think about these things. And I do think that sometimes um the message kids get women get in high school is like, okay, you run. Because you're a runner, you don't ever have to think about what you eat. Mm-hmm. Which now I understand that the intent of that message is the as a runner, you need to eat a lot mm-hmm. and you need to you need to pay attention to you know fueling your body but by saying you need to not think about what you eat that gives kids a diff- that's a different message mm-hmm. you know i i would prefer the message the girls here coming out of high school is like yes you run you need to p- pay attention to fueling yourself fueling. the right way yeah and um, some kids they they when they get here when they get to college they're not used to thinking about food as fuel mm-hmm. they're not used to thinking about about it at all, they've been you know taught that thinking about food is disordered. And that's a slippery slope kind of, because it's um, you know you do need to think about nutrition. You do need to think, am I eating enough? Am I, you know, am I eating well? Am I getting enough protein? How much you know car- complex carbohydrates am I eating? I try to for me personally, I, I've had the I have a really healthy team. And I think most people who take a look at my team would agree that that's a true statement. Mm. Um, And it's not an accident at all. Mm. (laughs) Uh, We have, we have, we have frequent and um, comfortable discussions about nutrition and I model conversations with older athletes in front of younger athletes Mm. so that they can kind of see that, Oh, okay. Like this person that I look up to is not, you know, this is, this is the kinds of things that good athletes talk about. Mm-hmm. And, um, I never focus on how a person looks mm-hmm. or, um, I've, I've frequently, um, ask kids to monitor their weight so that they don't lose any, mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, for, for me, it's like women need to determine through some process of like, just tagging how they feel like they need to determine what is my best and most what is my healthiest weight what is what is my most like effective training weight how, when i weigh this you know when i when i eat this way and weigh about this much i feel really good um that's those are the numbers i'm interested in i'm not interested in what is the lowest body weight i can be <laughs> and still like function that's not the number we're interested in i'm interested in where do you feel the best when you Um, when you eat a lot of protein, do you feel really good when you eat five small meals a day or versus three meals a day? Do you feel good when you eat something before you go to bed? Do you sleep better? Like Mm -hmm. patterns like that. Those are the kinds of things I emphasize with the women is what patterns of eating, what kinds of foods, what ways of fueling yourself result in you feeling good and make a note of that, like figure it out, like figure out before a race. Like when I eat this way, the day leading up to my race, I feel really good Mm -hmm. or, you know, when I eat this way leading up to a race, I feel really tired or, you know, I don't feel as good. I don't sleep as well. So I do think kids need to understand that nutrition plays a role in athletics. Absolutely. It does. Um, now that doesn't mean that the, like the weight number is the most important thing. It's the patterns of eating, the patterns of fueling that are super important, but you can't have those, you can't get to those nuggets of, truth if you don't like open the door and start having the conversations um so I do think it's important to talk about it I do think there's a way to talk about it respectfully and lovingly and in a way that is um that is just comfortable and and supportive and um there's a way to do it really wrong for sure Mm -hmm. but that's like anything you know like there's it's all about relationships and if you have good relationships with the people that you coach you can talk about really challenging things that maybe they haven't talked about before and you can make it work it's just like you have to you have to listen <laughs> you have to be able to understand if somebody's like ready to you know have really in depth conversations, or if they just kind of need to hear other people have conversations first, and start to understand that, okay, this is how athletes talk about food, because for some of them, they've had a very negative experience Mm -hmm. thinking about nutrition and food. So I'd say that's how I start. I start with each kid, assuming that's the case. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Like assuming they either have no clue about nutrition, or have had the message, like, this isn't something we talk about. That's, that's, I assume everybody's there when they get here. And if they're not, I'm, I'm pleasantly surprised. Um, this is, it's, um, it's not a new problem, right? Yeah. Um, not a new problem. Um, but that said, like having an eating disorder culture on your team is a, is a death trap, Yeah. um, for a program for sure. Um, and ignoring it is the worst thing you can do. <laughs> so um, I do think that if you ask the women that I coach what my feelings are about nutrition and, and body image, they would probably tell you that that we talk about it often and that there's a very positive connotation of those conversations. Um, I think they would tell you too, like that, you know, if I saw somebody struggling And because that—that's really the only way you can tell if somebody's struggling is if you're already talking about it. Mm -hmm. Like talking about it doesn't cause the struggle. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Ignoring it causes the struggle. Um, Thinking, you know, if the kids think that they're, you know, not good enough or not, you know, if if they're if they have any sort of like, like self-esteem attachment to food and to weight and to a number, I mean, the only way you're going to find that out is by like listening and Mm -hmm. talking and actually like leaning into the topic think you know there's just there's two things you can do with with any difficult topic right you can either like lean in and have a conversation or you run away and that's true of any hard conversation and you know I've chosen to 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 lean in on this and it's um it can be it can feel scary sometimes because Mm -hmm. you know in an interview like this it could be that like I come off sounding like some sort of monster if like you know (laughs) somebody doesn't take it the right way right but Honestly, I care more, mostly that my girls don't think I'm a monster. That's the only thing I care about. So as long as they're getting the right message from me, that's really the only thing that matters to me.
0: Yeah, it is. So it, it is a scary topic because as if you're an athlete, you're using your body. Your body is what's performing, right? So nutrition is important, and it is important to know. Where you feel best? What do you do though? I I
1: feel well, like... like I've never weighed. I've never in fifteen years of coaching weighed a kid mm. ever. Um, but I'll ask them, "How do you feel?" <laughs>
0: What do you do though, as a coach, when a woman is going through your program and like, you know, when you are a little tiny thing running really fast in high school, you get to college sometimes and your body's really going through those changes that some kids' yep. bodies were going through when they're like 14, you know? Totally. What do you do? Because you kind of, those people have to kind of weather that storm and they might slow down a little bit during mm-hmm. those changes. What, how do you um, cultivate a healthy relationship
1: with a then? I think it's, it's the same thing. It yeah. has to be, you can't, it can't be the elephant in the room. It yeah. can't just be, if, if you ignore it, then you leave kids to call whatever they think it is. Whereas if you put a name on it and say, Hey, this is what's happening. Like you need to get your period. And mm-hmm. honestly, I, this might sound, you know, weird to some people listening to this, but like, I, I know when every girl on my team gets her period, <laughs> because I ask, that's good. <laughs> and I ask not because I like, you know, need to know for any other reason but like I, I <laughs> why asked why were you if, in a bad if, mood if, last week <laughs> although <you> know, <laughs> just explain something um i I ask because it's important to me that their patterns are normal mm-hmm. like if somebody gets her period every month all the time and she stops that's that's an indication you're getting menstruating is a barometer for women of, mm-hmm. of what's going on in their bodies so you know if you're So asleep, right? Like if you're sleeping poorly or if you aren't menstruating regularly, something's going on Mm. and it could be that stress is increasing. It could be that you're overtraining. It could be that, you know, a number of different things, but like, if you, if you don't ask, you don't know. And, you know, so I'll ask the girls all the time, like, you know, I'm just feeling really tired. Well, when's the last time you had your period? I don't know, like three months ago. Is that normal? No, I usually get it every month. Okay. We need to take a look at what we're doing here. Um, And those are important conversations to have. And, you know, does it make it easier that I'm a woman? Probably. Yeah. Like, is it easier for me to have this conversation? Like, would my husband have this conversation with the girls? Probably not. Um, you know, our doctors certainly could. But it's, Um, I think we've gotten to a point with all the girls that they're, I, don't, I can't think of anybody in my program who has a hard time having these conversations with me. And I think it's mostly because they've, you know, it's it's become a normal thing to talk about. And it's the same thing with nutrition. If somebody loses their period, they're probably not eating enough. Yeah. And that's something we need to talk about that. We need to figure that out. The only way to figure out if somebody's eating enough is to say, what are you eating? (laughs) You know? Yeah. Say, Okay. Well, that's not enough. Like let's beef that up. Let's work with our And then at that point it's okay. Now we need to work with our nutritionist because I'm not obviously a nutritionist. Um, but I can open the door and I can connect to the resources and all of those things. Um, so yeah, we, the, the, the puberty stuff is a, is, It's a real thing because most, most women go through a physical change still between when they're 18 and 22 Mm -hmm. and things just get different. Their metabolisms are different when they're fifth year seniors and when they're being recruited as juniors or seniors in high school. And, you know, they need to hear that. It's okay that that's true. You just got to figure it out, you know?
0: Yeah. Well, they're lucky to have you. I wish that every college (laughs) kid's experience
1: was like that, you know? Well, I appreciate you saying that, but it's, um, it is, it's like, but in, in interviews like this, I have to decide, am I going to say, I just don't sure, talk about it or sure. am I gonna tell what it is. But, you know, I'm hopeful that by me saying that I do talk about these things regularly and that the, I do feel very strongly that there's a way to talk about them, you know, in a very positive way that I hope that's, that influences another female coach to do the same thing and to not, you know, run the other way. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Yeah. It's powerful. What, what about when kids graduate from your program? Like, um, how do you guide athletes into, you know, those who are interested in running professionally or like just next steps in their, in their life and career? Like how do people phase out of working with you?
1: Yeah, that's an interesting question too. And it's, um, I mean, people phase, they just phase into a different part of the relationship, you know, and, and that happens the whole time they're here. Like, um, you know, like Lily Burden just graduated and she's moved back to Australia and she's moving um, into a professional training group. And it's like, you know, and I, I helped her do that, but like she needed me as a 22 year old mm-hmm. much differently than she needed me as a 17 year old. Mm-hmm. Like when she moved here, at, like a few months graduated from high school, she had a completely different set of needs than she had as a, a, a like full fledged adult who could go out in the world and do whatever she wanted. And yeah, you know, the conversations with kids the whole time they're in college evolve because we just get kids at such an interesting point in their lives where they're like, they're burgeoning adults when they get here, but they're like full fledged mm. humans. Like when they, <laughs> when they leave and some, some of the kids come in and they, they're pretty independent and they can, they, they're, they're pretty mature and other kids come in and they're, they're very used to somebody like literally telling them what to do all day long. Mm-hmm. And now they're, they have nobody telling them what to do ever. And they don't you know, they're just not used to that. And, you know, it's so with each kid that comes in, it's determining where they're, where they are, like on that spectrum, and then meeting them when where they're at. And, and then, you know, you kind of like, you've got like this, it's like this like not a leash, but it's like, you know, you've got, you're tied to these kids with like this line and and it gets like slacked as they get older. And, you know, you tighten it at different times and just depending on what they need. And some of them need to be held really close all the time because they feel most secure that way. Mm. And some of them need to be able to roam and need to be able to have a loose leash. And it's, um, by the time they're done, you know, you're trying to help them figure out what they're going to do next, whether it's running or not running. And, for some of them, it's medical school and for some of them, it's a job. And for some of them, it's, you know, they want to get married or they want to become parents. Like you just try to help them figure out what's next. And, um, what probably the, the only good thing that's come out of this whole COVID experience is I've, I've gotten a lot of calls from former athletes who are just like, I thought of you today because I, to I have time. I love and, that. You know, when my phone rang last week and it was it was Maggie Schmadek it was the girl um, who was our fifth runner at Nationals that year who dove at the line and she called to tell me she was engaged and oh. it was awesome. And, you know, so like you work through those. You, it's fun to be part of people's lives um, beyond when they're here. And it's funny that like I'll still get calls because someone wants advice, like mm. not about running, just mm-hmm. as like, you know, like, well, do you remember this one time when I talked to you about this? And I was thinking about that and I'm having this problem. and <laughs> Which is funny, but yeah, I mean, the ones who want to run again, who want to keep running, I think the most important thing I can do is try to explain to them what that means, mm-hmm. and and how it happens, and then try to connect them with with the people who can make it happen for them. Um, and because it, it is, it's not a super straightforward process, and you know, it depends if they're American or not American, if they're going home, if they're staying here. There's all the visa stuff. I mean, it's hard. It's complicated for sure. Um, but yeah, and then connecting them with the right group and the right coach and people who can provide them opportunities and be, you know, just a good match. It's I've been involved in with most of my athletes who've moved forward. I've been involved in some way, and that process just is as a trusted person who can guide them. Um, You know, I don't have um, I don't have the ability to, to have I can't really have post collegians. Mm. I'm like too yeah. I'm, I'm too, too strapped with my life, with my college team. If I have kids who who I've worked with them in college and they're, they're in some sort of transition period and they're here and they need help. I'm happy to help them. But like I have no aspiration to have like a professional group here. Like I'm, I love coaching college track and this is what I want to do. And I'm exactly where I want to be in that regard. It's
0: so fun. It sounds like a lot of what you said, as far as like guiding them as they come in and as they leave and everything you said, it sounds a
1: lot like parenting. It is. It's a funny thing. It's, um, yeah, it's, it, but like your kids need you differently, right? right. Like my, my eighth grader needs me differently than my fourth grader does. And that's weird. And, you know, he needs me differently than he did a year ago. Uh-huh. Um, and these, the girls are the same way. Like, you know, some, they, with their life stuff and with their running stuff, like, you know, I can call one of my older athletes and say like, you know, you need to go for te- Do you need to do a five mile tempo run today. And they, I don't need to say anything more than that. Mm. Whereas some of my younger athletes, I need to say like, okay, you need to do, you need to warm up for 15 minutes and then you need to stop and you need to stretch and then you need to start. <laughs> like, <laughs> and yeah, it's, um, yeah, they're all just very different. And part of the the fun, the most fun part about coaching is learning, just learning each person and what makes her different and what makes her special and, you know, helping her just move forward in her life. Yeah. I love that. Okay.
0: Um, let's wrap up with some into the podcast questions. What is one thing, professionally or personally, that you'd like to do that you have not done yet?
1: I'd say professionally, um, you know, I haven't had anyone make an Olympic team yet, so I would like to experience that with somebody. Um, you know, I think we we were in position for that this year, um, mm-hmm. and it got shut down, but that's okay. Hopefully, we get another time around. Damn, twenty twenty. <laughs> I know. <laughs> um, and personally, I mean. Gosh, it's, um, that's an interesting question. I guess I feel pretty lucky that I've been able to be doing this for as long as I have and that I'm able to continue doing it. And it's, it's fun all the time. Um, yeah, I mean, we, I I feel like being here at Washington, I've got a nice new set of challenges and, um, I, I was fortunate to win two cross country titles at Oregon and I want to win another one here as soon as possible. That's awesome.
0: I believe you will. (laughs) What's an accomplishment you're most proud of?
1: Um, I think that 2016 cross-country title is, is, that we talked about is not – I'm not even proud of it because we won. I'm yeah. proud of it because of the progress we made and the way the women bought into each other and just the way they were with each other that whole fall. Like, every day was awesome. Every day wasn't easy. There were some, like, really, really shitty days for mm-hmm. sure – But just watching like the way they developed resilience and the way they like just the camaraderie they developed and just that what they were at the end from from where they were at the beginning was just it was such a cool thing to watch. And it it was unlike anything I've seen in sports to this time. Um, And so I'm pretty proud of of that because I think um, I played a role in just helping foster it. And then I was able to watch it kind of from the outside and the inside, which is a weird thing. You know, like I was part of it, but I was also like, mm. I wasn't, you know, in the lineup. So, yeah. Um, so I had this very interesting perspective on it because I was, you know, I was able to be in it and then kind of retreat from it and see it at the same time. So that was a pretty cool thing. And I really, I really enjoyed it. Like I had a, it was a really fun process and the end result was part of what was a really fun process. And um, that was like a Zen moment for me, I think in coaching, because Like I said, I I had there were a lot of times there was a lot of stress a lot of the time um, with winning um, over the years. And I didn't always enjoy it. Um, It was sometimes it was it wasn't that fun. But like that one was really fun because it just the process of it was really fun.
0: So good. That story is so good. (laughs) <laughs> i love picturing you and the michigan coach sitting on the bench together or the picnic table
1: or whatever it was mike and i have talked about it since mike I'm, and you should get mike on one of these. i will he's, very, he's really interesting um mike likes to walk and he walks for hours and hours um and sometimes you know I'll, I'll get phone calls from mike on his walks and you know he's he's been a good friend for a long time <laughs> what's it, what's his last name uh, mcguire oh okay and he's been the longtime women's coach at Michigan.
0: Okay. I should know that. See, I got to get up on my college oh, no, coaching fine. knowledge.
1: No, you're good. It's, I mean, it's fun. And it's, um, you know, this, there's been a good development of like, you know, I've been in this thing long enough now that I've, I've got a lot of good coaching friends who I mm-hmm. lean on. And I think that's really important. And, you know, some of them are women, some of them are men. Um, You know, we've all kind of just been doing this for a long time. And it's a, it's a good network of people. It's just good people. It's really good people in the sport. So that's been fun.
0: Okay. What is the best, most recent book you've read?
1: Oh, you know what? I just reread One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Really? (laughs) Yeah. It came up in conversation and I was like, God, I haven't read that in forever. So I went back and read it again. It's great. It's still great. Different at
0: 40 than it was at 18 or whenever you first read it? Oh,
1: for sure. It's funny. Yeah. I have, I mean, I kept all my college books. I kept, I mean, I, I like to keep books and I like to give books. I like to like, pay books forward and pass them along. Um, but yeah, it was funny. I, I had that one from forever ago and I was talking to somebody recently and and he had brought up a story that referenced it and I was like, God, I want to read that again. So I did. I read it in like two nights. It was fine.
0: <laughs> oh my goodness. Okay. Because good we know. have
1: time for these things right now. We can read.
0: This is true. If we don't watch too much TV, we have time for books. I know, right? Uh, what is your one message to send to the world? Be
1: kind to each other everyone's doing their best <laughs> that's it I love it
0: all right well hey thanks for the like chopped up
1: ten no you're different... good I'm sorry I had to go early and then I had to leave and then yeah I mean it's all good but I love that you're doing podcasts from your closet because you have four kids and they're sleeping on the floor that's like yep. I I'm, love it love it Thank you. This has
0: been so fun. You were such a fun interview. I will, um, we'll let you know when we plan to put this out. I'm going to do a couple more coaches because we're doing like a series on, on coaches specifically. So um, yeah. Oh,
1: cool. Are you doing any other track coaches?
0: Okay. So right now who I have lined up is um, Shayla Houlihan. Yeah. Oh, great. And um, Andrew Castor. So that's not a college coach, but who do you highly recommend?
1: Joe Franklin. Okay. Call Joe Franklin.
0: Who's he coach for?
1: He coaches the New Mexico women and men. He actually just called me here seven minutes ago. I don't know what he wanted, but I'm going to tell him that I tell him, him that you. Him.
0: Yeah, tell him that you just put his name in the ring, and um, he's going to be yeah, getting Joe's contacted.
1: Entertaining. Really? Yeah. Okay. Well, no, he does a great job. Um, yeah, he's won a couple cross country national titles. He's he's a he's an outstanding coach. Um,
0: yeah. Okay, we'll put him on our list then. That sounds good.
1: Awesome. (laughs) Thanks. Have a great rest of your day.
0: (laughs) Thanks. You too. I
1: hope you can sleep.
0: Thanks. Uh. Bye. Thanks, Lindsay. Hey, everybody. Thanks so much for tuning in today. Thanks, Marisa, for coming on the show. I usually share my guest's Instagram handle at this point, but you heard Marisa say it in the episode. She doesn't really do social media. Uh, You can find me on social media, though. I'm Lindsay Hine. Six two six. You can find me on Twitter at Lindsay Hine and you can find me on Facebook. I'll have another podcast with Lindsay Hine as well. Uh, don't forget we have a Patreon page where there are extra bonus episodes over there. You can find those at patreon.com slash Hine. It is a way you can support my work behind this podcast and also get a little bit extra listening over there. Um, most people support at three or $5 a month and yeah, it's just a great little community and I appreciate each and every one of you who are already over there. Um, all right. We've got more coaching episodes coming up that I'm really excited about. We've had some great interviews. If you are getting ready to start the school year, friends, good luck. If you're teachers, counselors, anybody working in the school system, um, to all you parents, I feel ya. I'm here. I'm right here with you. Um, this is a crazy year and um, we can do hard things. So we got this. All right. Have a really great Friday. Have a wonderful rest of your weekend. And as always, I will see you next Friday.